0: I need to be able to condense it more because we always run over the 30 minutes.
1: Aldo, welcome to the show. This is a bit of a unique thing we're doing here for FS Jam. We're actually going to be airing two episodes simultaneously. We did a long previous conversation about the history and motivations of your new project lamb dragon but we wanted to also do a slightly more condensed explanation of what it is how it works and give people just like the high level of like what is
0: lamb dragon I appreciate the exception that you're making, Anthony and Chris. In our previous talk, we just rambled and we went down a few rabbit holes, but I think it's important to try and summarize it. So what we're building at Dragon is what we call a pure code platform. And a pure code platform is actually a very simple concept. The idea is you open your code editor and you don't leave it and you can create a whole startup without having to open a CLI, without having to change a single line of configuration. And this should be entirely possible, right? So if you were to create a language from scratch, and you consider all of the requirements, data, different kinds of products, and different kinds of channels, and microservices and all that, and you were to consider them from the beginning, you should, in theory, be able to create a language that has all of these things, and therefore, you don't need to do anything else, right? Just like languages have functions and classes and variables that are immutable and we keep adding features, in theory, you could add more and more and more features until everything is considered. Unfortunately, you can't really do that. You can't just create a new language from scratch. I mean, you can, but you will end up with something that is really hard to share with the world. So there are great projects out there that have tried to do this, like Darklang and Ecstasy and Eve, and there's a whole line of programming languages that try to do more incorporate data, persistence, APIs, HTTP. But the problem is that they end up being a world onto themselves and they have an adoption problem. So you have a conflict. You want to create a new language to incorporate all these features, but you can't really create a new, new language. Otherwise it won't work. So what's the middle ground there? What could you actually do? What you could do is you can take a programming language that already exists, like TypeScript or Java or Go or something like that, and you could extend it without breaking compatibility, without making it into a new thing. We could extend it somehow to include all of these requirements. What LambDragon is, is a pure code programming platform for TypeScript, where we've taken the language and we've extended it very slightly. We don't change the syntax or anything. We just add new tricks to the compiler, to the bundler, to the IDE, so that you can create a complete startup with, let's say, a web application, a static site, three databases, server-side logic, transactional logic, an NPM library, a CLI, an electron app, a mobile app, whatever you want, everything. You can create that in a single file of code without leaving. You don't even need to leave the file to build or test. It's all there. Of course, you will never end up creating like everything in one file. You can still split it and you can use modules and all that, but you don't have to. That's the point. The language gives you enough. That's what Dragon is. That's our vision. And that's something that we, we have already been working on for two or three years. And even in the prototypes three years ago, we were already achieving incredible results. Now, the problem with a vision so big is that it's hard to get there, not just technically. There are a lot of technical challenges, but it's also hard to market something like this because it feels very alien. It's hard for people to get their head around. When you look at the code, it looks so familiar and so simple that you don't necessarily see all the value. So we started running into this kind of problem a while ago. But along this journey, I've learned from great advisors and mentors and some of my investors and friends, I've learned we can take this big vision and we can split it into small pieces. That's what we're doing now. So we have this big vision that we're going towards and we're gonna get there in the next five years and the whole world is going to move to pure code. And I'm 100% sure of that. In the meantime, we are going to start releasing limited versions of this platform to perform specific tasks. So the first one is called Dragon Build. It's a build tool that allows you to take your very complex mono repo and by applying some of the innovations that we had to develop for the bigger pure code idea, by applying these innovations, you can shrink your code base by 30 to 50%, you can eliminate most of the configuration. The build speeds go through the roof. It's very easy to navigate. That's why the way I've been talking about this first stage has been all about complexity and hyper-complexity, because I think that is the problem that we can solve in this stage. You have this explosion in complexity now in the monorepo space. As a reaction, we have tools like Rome and TurboRepo and a bunch of other build acceleration, consolidate tool chains appearing, we are going to give you another tool that is slightly more opinionated, but it does things that no other tool can do. That's kind of our first stage. And that's where I want to focus now. The second stage is also kind of starting to unravel as we speak around the infrastructure's code world. So you have Serverless Cloud just launched their runtime on the cloud service. You have Cloudflare that also has some sort of runtime on the cloud. You've had Pulumi for a long time with infrastructure's code derived from high-level languages like Java and Go. So you don't need to write a YAML file or an HCL or a Terraform file. You write code, and then that gets translated. The AWS CDK is also trying to consolidate that, so providing a pure code layer on top of CloudFormation. And so on. So that space is already moving forward and we also have technology there, but for this stage we're going to focus on the build side of things. That's kind of what we've arrived at at this point. And by the way, we're fundraising now and we're in the middle of a fundraising week that's going amazing. If I sound a little tired, it's because I am. (laughs) I've been pitching 10, 15 times a day sometimes and it's been amazing. It's been amazing. I have to say, it's not just that we're going to get funding, it's also just going through this process, And pitching all these bright minds and getting feedback and getting challenged at every turn, it has really forced me to work on the strategy, especially on the go-to-market side. I'm very happy about where we are right now. I'm really
2: interested in talking about the go-to-market strategy. Are you saying with Lambda Dragon, you want to help companies from the start of their project? Or are you saying we're going to deploy in, parachute down to the top 5% of companies and really solve the biggest issues that they
0: have? The easiest answer to that is always greenfield projects. New project, use our tool. We're going to focus on that one first. Because if you really want to get all of the advantages that you can get from using our platform, the code layout is slightly different. We remove a lot of the barriers that appear in Monorepos. So you can have like a single source tree. And the way you can add tests and mix the tests with your code are, you have much more freedom in that sense. The way you manage dependencies is also different. So you don't need to have like 60 different packages of JSONs. There's a different way where you can consolidate them and then add like smart rules in cases where you need to deal with conflicts. The way you would split your projects into packages, so for example, you have an NPM library or three NPM libraries and then a website, or that also goes away. If you really want to take advantage of what you can do with our tooling, it's better to start from scratch. It's a cleaner layout that gives you much more freedom and speed. Having said that, there are two ways that we can approach existing projects. So one of them is, we have a tool that allows you to rewrite automatically, starting from some standard monorepo layout. So if you're using TypeScript and you have your project references done right and all that, this rewrite is automatic. There might be some corner cases, but they're usually isolated and they're easy to understand. That's one way of doing it. The other way is you can actually add LampDragon into your monorepo as a package. So, you don't need to throw anything away. Let's say that you're using NX or you're using Yarn Workspaces or Lerna or whoever, like any of the many tools now for monorepo management. You don't need to change that. You just create one package that is now going to be powered by Lambdragon and it plays well with everything else. But now you can start slowly migrating code into this package that is leaner, that gives you like a, a better experience. In that sense, it's kind of a strangler pattern, right? Where you slowly start migrating things until there's nothing left to migrate. That's my preferred choice for large projects, obviously. Having the freedom to rewrite a complete project happens rarely because it's not just the code, right? You also have issues that are pointing to places and you have some knowledge and workflows. But if you can, you should rewrite. If you can't, then you can do this one.
2: You quickly mentioned the Lambda Dragon build tool. Is there going to be an open source hook into Lambda Dragon or is it all paid for features? I guess the biggest question that I have is how is a developer going to integrate into it how will they know how much they pay for what they pay for? Are we looking at a licensed kind of model with remix? Or are we looking at more of a SAS based Netlify Gatsby cloud model where they would pay to build your application?
0: Yes. Yeah, so first it's called lamp dragon lamp dragon. It's not a lambda dragon. It's actually a little lamp with dragon DNA. It symbolizes the fact that we are taking JavaScript and TypeScript and we are adding dragon DNA. We are splicing technology into this existing stack i don't know it started a little bit as a joke and then it just it has a life of its own now the little dragon is driving the the company
2: what can i say i am dyslexic but yes it is lamb dragon
0: no no no, it's good it's good we get a chance to explain the rest of the world so in the end we're going to have a cloud if you deploy to our cloud that's our business model right but in the beginning especially right now we're going to release the build tool only the build tool is going to be open source of course We have time to figure it out, but right now what we're looking at are the usual candidates there. So one is collaboration. So for large companies that are using this, they're going to need some tools related to CI and collaboration. Build caching if necessary. There is also an IDE. You guys know me from developing IDEs. That's my claim to fame in this group. I'm a tooling developer and I love development experience. Our ID is going to be loaded with a lot of features, and some of those features we might choose to charge. We don't know yet. I don't think we need to make that decision right now. So for us, the main goal of this phase and the reason why we're racing this round at this point is to get a strong foothold in the tooling market from a traction point of view. And we know exactly how to do that. We're going to resegment it slightly to create an alternative to monorepos. We're not going to be another monorepo tool. We're proposing something else. As the company evolves, we're going to go through different product offerings. The endgame is actually building a runtime. That's a story for another day. We have time to go there. I've worked in R&D all my life. And when you work in R&D, you learn something that you can, in theory, build the future right now. I could build the future on my machine, provided that I have enough time to study and I find the right people and I know the right questions. I could build the future right now. Maybe I already have it here, but it doesn't matter. Because it's just me. What you need to do now is you need to carry the world with you to this new reality. And that is the challenge of our company is we have a very clear idea of where we are going to end, which is an inevitable thing, by the way. It's not something that we creatively propose. It's something that we uncover by understanding the forces at play here. Every startup that you have on your show, in some way, is simplifying some workflow. All of the DevTools startups, all of the cloud abstraction startups, Netlify and Vercel, They're also simplifying on top of someone else, right? They are just making it easier for a developer. And how do they do that? They remove what's not needed. They realize that there are some things that for certain users can be abstracted. That's the whole game. If you keep pushing this and you keep going and you give it enough iterations, what you will arrive at is a point where there's nothing left that can be removed. And there is a fixed point as well that you need to consider. And this is something that's given by the environment now. JavaScript and TypeScript will continue growing and will only become more and more relevant. And this is not just because they're popular now, but it's also because web technologies are embracing them and are based on this. So look at what's happening with Dino and the APIs and how they're matching the browser API. So we are arriving at a point where it's clear, and it's been clear for a long time, but it's manifesting itself that web technologies are going to take over development. Every newcomer to the software world these days learns JavaScript. Nobody says, I'm just going to be a Python developer and I'll never touch those. It just doesn't work that way. So the end game is JavaScript and TypeScript must include these missing features so that development can be simplified and microservices and cloud programming are built in. You've spoken about the future market,
2: about how within the next five years, we're going to see a pure code movement. Do you expect other companies to pop up? Do you think you're currently ahead of such companies that will pop up in this space? And do you think you have the time and knowledge to take a majority share of the pure code market?
0: Of course, I expect our companies to show up. I love your question. This is the whole game here. Let's assume that what I said is true. Let's start there. Let's assume that this is going to happen. And it's going to happen within five to 10 years. So it makes sense to start a company now that tries to claim this strong. There are other companies already moving in this direction. So I mentioned a few. If you look at Pulumi, They've been working on pure code for infrastructure for a long time. They've done some technological progress. They have, of course, the infrastructure part more figured out. Now you have serverless jumping in. Then you have something like Temporal. They're coming at it from a different point of view, but they're also chasing the same idea. In the case of Temporal, what they are abstracting from you, if you want to create long-running workflow processes, you don't need to set up a workflow engine anymore. You use Temporal, and then you can say thread.sleep one week. And they will take the stack and they will take whatever is reachable from the heap and who knows how they're doing it, but they will resume this job later for you. So from a developer's point of view, that is a pure code experience. You are now thinking in terms of code, But the result of writing that code means that there's a lot of infrastructure deployed for you, but the intent is described in code. So I expect this space to be not crowded because there are some technical challenges and ideological kind of clarity challenges around it. But by no means, my company is going to be the only one. I think that there's going to be multiple winners in this space. First, there are different markets. So Temporal is a good example. If Temporal succeeds in going after companies that are currently looking at workflow engines and they think about workflow engines, and then they could eat that whole market, which is huge. I mean, look at all the users that use Amazon Simple Workflow Service, for example. And by the way, the founder of Temporal has been working on these other famous projects for a while. Temporal might choose to just focus on that niche with a pure code strategy. Then pulumi might choose to stay closer to DevOps. Pulumi's technology speaks to DevOps people that were used to building cloud formation templates and used to writing Terraform by hand almost some time ago, and they are now looking at this. They could also choose to go higher to application developers, but it's harder to change the tone of the whole company to talk to these people. And you could already see that playing out with Pulumi Cloud. Pulumi Cloud is very similar to serverless cloud, but it doesn't speak as clearly to full-stack JavaScripty developers, mainly because Pulumi is associated to so much more, right, on the DevOps side. So it feels like when you read it as a JavaScript developer, even if you understand Pulumi Cloud, you still feel like you don't understand anything because it's surrounded by all of this. But if you look at serverless, it's simpler. And then you have Cloudflare; They're also following a similar approach with workers, the way they're enabling persistence there. And then you have other players like Netlify or Vercel, which... From the surface, it might seem that they are not doing this, but if you look at how, in the case of Next, creating a function is now easier. It gets easier every time. In the case of Netlify, again, you just write it and put it in the right place, and it will work. You could also argue that that's a pure code approach. You just need to know where to put it. There are some conventions, right? But the conventions are slowly getting smaller and getting closer to what programming feels naturally. Now, why do I think we could have the capacity to take over this space? I am going to build that capacity. Of course, right now, we are a very small team. We have an advantage on the technical side of view and clarity, but there's so much that we're missing. And that's exactly why we're racing this round. And then we're going to go for an even bigger one to bring in the right co-founders and level up. So also, I want to put the announcement out there that we are actively interviewing co-founders, trying to find someone who is as experienced as I am on the technical side, but on the product and marketing sides so that we can level up and have like a really world-class team. Because this is a huge opportunity to claim this throne. That will be a nice thing.
2: Are you going to look for a strong vendor locking or more of an open standard? I.e., are you going to be the jack of all trades of the industry, like Netlify? Or are you going to try and do more vendor locking with Next.js and Versailles?
0: If If I look at the roadmap, the answer to this changes over time. So in the beginning with tooling, you can't really force people... To log in because you don't own any of their data all you can do is you can provide a solution that's so much better that they choose to stay with you and then there's always going to be a cost change so in theory you could always rewrite your next js app on something else there are two reasons you choose not to the first one is maybe the features are better and that's the positive one and the second one is there's a cost associated to the rewrite companies usually try to have a good balance of these two ideally you want to always win on the feature side but of course the rewrite cost creates like a barrier that some people are not willing to cross unless the pain increases. But I think even though the specific strategy and answer to this is going to change over time, there is one guiding principle here that I want to keep in mind all along, and is that the developer experience has to be incredible and has to be as close to the user as possible. So what we will really own is how it feels to code, how it feels to open your editor, start writing, and that feeling of immediacy, regardless of how we make that happen. In the beginning, it's going to be the build tool. Later, it's going to be you're going to have more elements. But that feeling, that experience, for lack of a better word, but that's what it is, that should be the main login. in If you look at what Serverless Cloud is doing, Serverless Cloud has its own runtime. It's a black box. We don't know what they have. And they will improve it over time. They say, you write your code this way, you use these APIs, we'll make it happen. Evidently, people initially, they're going to write things that don't run well there. They're gonna do like a loop and write to the database 150 times or 150,000 times, right? And the platform will will get sluggish. But serverless in theory, right? they, They will learn from this, they will improve that. They will see the usage pattern and they will make their platform somehow smartly optimized for this. And over time, after enough of these optimizations, your black box, starts becoming irreplaceable. It's not easy for just anyone to say, I'm going to do the same thing. Well, it turns out it's going to take you a few years. That's the other login, right? So you have the login on the experience end. These are the positive ones, login on the experience end. And the other one is the optimization of the runtime and of each little piece of the whole life cycle has moved so far that there's just nothing that can compare to what we're doing at this point. And there's a real opportunity here. Just like Java has you know, the just-in-time compiler, and for a long time in the enterprise, that was their claim to fame. Like, there's so much work that has gone into optimizing server workloads on Java that it's a no-brainer. Go for this, right? It took them a long time to get there. Once they got there, they were able to capitalize on that position. We are entering a similar space here because these runtimes are going to be invisible from people. They become black boxes effectively. And there are different optimization challenges that we have here. So for example, in a serverless world where an application can be composed of functions that don't necessarily run at the same runtime or even at the same time. There's a lot of freedom to move things around on the infrastructure side. Do you collocate all functions? Do you collocate functions with the data? Do you collocate some of these on the edge closer to the users? Do you cache the results here or there? And most of these choices, the best way to make them is going to be dynamically by observing the actual runtime behavior. So, in that sense, it gets really close to how these runtimes optimize the just-in-time compilers, they optimize themselves. So there's a whole field there. When I look to the future, I imagine that we will really be able to provide an experience where it doesn't matter if you're writing a very simple application or you're writing Facebook, the experience is still cold and we'll take care of the rest. We'll figure it out for you. It's really interesting hearing just within the last
1: month, how much the way you, you talk about this has kind of shifted and changed because we've been talking about this kind of in the background for like going on a, a year now. I've been following all these projects that you talked about. I actually wrote a blog post about serverless cloud right when it was released. And the traffic I got on that did about 50x my regular blog posts. So it's a lot of interest in this space. Two others that I'm looking at that I find pretty cool is serverless stack, which is also using CDK pretty heavily. And then Wasplang, which has built their own DSL That's like a full stack Prisma React kind of app combined with like a Terraform infros code kind of thing. So those are really cool. Interested in getting both of those teams on here to talk about that. But there was a blog post released recently by Swix. Swix, who was on back in episode 12, used to work at Amplify and now works for Temporal, which you mentioned here. And it seems like that blog post was a watershed moment for you. So I'm really curious how it was able to capture this conversation in a way that seems to have really got people paying attention. What do you think it was that really captured the
0: zeitgeist there? 50% timing, 50% Sean's talent. Sean is an excellent communicator. And the terms he picked, the way he told the story, the problem statement, it's hard to write something better, I think. And also he has large reach. So when he puts something out there, it immediately gets a large chunk of the people in our space, right? in the JS space, it gets them to look at this one thing all at the same time. And that has a lot more power. You might even come up with a better explanation, but if you can only reach a small group and then somebody takes that idea mutates it, reach the next group, you don't have consensus. So his ability to blanket reset, put a term out there and then get everybody looking at this term. And right around the time where serverless cloud came out. So all of these things came together. And the result of this moment was that I have been talking about this one way or another for a very long time, even longer than I had my startup. So let's say I've been talking about this for ten years and then five years strongly and then the last three years incessantly with the startup. I haven't been able to reach people. I, I am able to sometimes fascinate them and get them to get interested, but they don't really get the insight and the aha moment. Some of them do, but most people they just like, okay, get back to me when I don't know, something happens. After Swix wrote the article my inbox just filled up and the people I talked to, they were all like, oh, so Allo, this is what you were talking about. It helped. It really helped. Swix talks about self-provisioning runtimes, which is a big part of what we're talking about, right? It's looking at the code, trying to immediately realize where to run it, what hardware to provision, maybe even where to run your code. And that's part of the pure code movement. The other part is everything else. It's not just about the runtime. There's also building and the product. It's not just about creating an API and having the runtime be smart behind the API. It's also what you do in front of the API. You want to build a web app. You want to build a mobile app. So there's a whole space around frameworks, the application side of things that hasn't been incorporated into this pure code thinking. WASP in that sense is doing that for web apps. They're saying, let's try to apply a pure code approach for web applications, but it's just the beginning. That space, there's a lot of work that can be done there. We're also tackling that one. When it comes to CLI frameworks, command line interface frameworks, that's easy. There are not that many ways to build a CLI. Mobile apps, slightly harder, but still the mobile app is shipped to the phone all at once. So there are some things that are established already. But when it comes to web apps, it gets really complicated. As we all know, right? We've been working on Redwood for two years. And as we get closer, most of the back and forth, not just in Redwood, but every other framework in the space has been around the rendering modes pre-render, lazy pre-render, lazy server-side render, and they keep changing the names, right? Yeah, oh my God, it's so confusing to me. <laughs> right. So imagine now on top of that, you throw this idea of pure code. One more thing to consider. So I think the application frameworks are going to be the last thing to be incorporated, but we can already start with some of them. Some of the things that are more clear. And I have the feeling that this era of exploration of the different architectures for web development it's going to come to an end. This cannot go on forever, right? We already see some consolidation here. So maybe we are at the point where it's feasible to say, let's take the three, four best approaches that exist, and let's assume that those are going to be the ones moving forward. I think we already see that. Still not quite like what Astro did now coming out. I think it's going to shake things around a little bit more, but it's going to stop at some point.
1: Awesome. Well, since we have last talked, you have actually started
0: tweeting. So why don't you let our listeners know where they can find your tweets? I did. Yeah, yeah. It's been quite an experience. After eight years, oh man, there there are so many new buttons. I feel like a grandpa. I want to use the Twitter. What do I click here? Can you tell me, young Anthony, how to do
1: this? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, what's your Twitter handle? And then there's also a Lamb Dragon Twitter now, right?
0: Yes, Aldonline. Is my Twitter handle, aldonline, with one O, aldonline. That was my nickname when I was uh, in high school. I was actually coding when I was 15, so people didn't know what, what I was doing looking at a computer. Because what else could you be doing looking at a computer at that time? You didn't even have porn at that time. Don't let your mind go there. It was like, what could you be doing? I was just coding. The lamb dragon handle is the Lam dragon. T-H-E-L-A-M-B-R-A-B-A-G-O-N. Lamp Dragon. The Lamb Dragon. I tried to get at Lamp Dragon, but it's taken and Twitter doesn't release. It's suspended, so I don't know, but they don't release handles. So we're stuck with The Lamp Dragon. The other option was Lamb Dragon HQ, but I prefer The Lamb Dragon. I like The Lamb Dragon. Yeah, I think The Lamb Dragon is good. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's more aggressive. It's like a mythical creature. The Lamb Dragon is talking to you.
1: Yeah, for anyone who found this conversation interesting, we'll have another one airing at the same time that has a much longer history and discussion of what's going on here. But I'll have a lot of links in the show notes. And you also did a recent stream with Swix right after the blog post dropped. So we'll link to that as well. So you got a lot of material out there now. You're definitely out of stealth mode. Awesome. Thank you, Anthony.
0: Thank you, Chris.